You are listening to the In Perspective Weekly Podcast with Bob Branco and Peter O'Toole. Hi, everyone, and welcome once again to In Perspective. I am Bob Branco. This is episode 288, dated Friday, December 16th, 2022. Very happy, as always, to have at my side, Peter Alchul. Peter, how hey, are Bob. you? Hey, Bob. Welcome uh, from Columbia, Missouri, where it's about 35 degrees with a 20-mile-an-hour wind. So it's pretty cold around here, uh, and it may get colder as the week as the week goes along. But we're getting ready for Christmas and football. We have rain and wind at 40 to 45, so it's not that much better. But anyhow, before we continue with our guest, let me offer some thanks. First of all, Raymond Gay, our producer, thank you for what you do for In Perspective. Tom and Lynn from Rosie's Place, thank you for posting our shows on greeting door number 15. Jacqueline Sylvia, who is our web designer, she archives In Perspective programs on my website, which is www.brancoevents.com. And, of course, the media outlets for airing us whenever they can. Thank you for doing that for us as well. We have a regular guest on our show today. He's been on nearly a dozen times. Hey, so Bob. Always... Yes, Peter, that, go I right ahead. Forgot, I think you forgot to do the most important thank you. Uh, merci, Jackie. Okay. You do it better than me, Peter. Thank you. Uh, I appreciate yes. that. And I'm hoping that Jackie appreciates it, too. I should ask her what she thinks of that. We have, once again, back again, former New York Congressman John LeBoutlier. Merry Christmas, Congressman. Thank you, Bob. Thank you, Ray. Thank you, Peter. Merry, Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Happy everything to everybody. (laughs) Okay. So before we get into the meat and potatoes of our discussion, while it's on my mind, you mentioned just before we got on the air, that we have a Siberian blast affecting the entire country at the end of next week. And I happen to make the comment so much for global warming, and you said that global warming was the issue. Could you explain why it's the issue? Well, it's the instability that we're going through in the climate. And you can see it by this cold blast that's coming, colder, 30 degrees colder than average temperatures next week in most of the country. But think back on the past few years. Hurricanes now are way stronger than they used to be. We've had several, including the disaster on the west coast of Florida this September, Category 5 hurricanes. Uh, We have tornadoes even out of season. Droughts are worse, drier, and longer. And what we're witnessing is extremes of weather. And the reason for that, is the warming of the atmosphere because of um, car, car, CO2 in the atmosphere, and it's warming the oceans, making them uh, a, a couple, not even, it's, it's like a degree hotter, can make a huge difference in all aspects of climate. So storms going over the water are fueled by hotter temperatures. It causes higher um erosion of water the ice then melts more i mean it's all all tied in together with warmer so it was called global warming they shouldn't have called it that they should have called it climate change whatever you want to call it it's changing when i was a kid 
Every pond around where I am on Long Island was frozen all winter, and we went skating on them. Now they're never frozen. You know, this right now, uh, Bob and I are on the East Coast. We're, you're in Boston. I'm on Long Island. We're getting a lot of rain today. But inland is getting snow. We used to get that snow. But because temperatures changed, boom, we're warmer. We're in the 40s instead of the high 20s, and we're not getting as much snow as we used to get. And, and I, th- I think my understanding, Congressman, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that uh, the weather is just more, as you said, it's more extreme. So with there were tornadoes in Louisiana yesterday that killed three people. I don't remember uh, uh, tornadoes in but, December, uh, you know, uh, when I was growing up. It just didn't happen as often. And yeah. now you get you get these wild storms that, that just weren't as frequent uh, right. as so, they are now. So uh, I don't think we then, can. But now, but now they're 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 more. Uh, Severe than on average than they used to be. Right. I think Is that, that a reasonable. We, we don't thing need that I to. Conversation? No, I, I agree with that. And I think I there have lost is that <clears throat> the role of man. What is man's role in destabilizing the climate? The left is adamant that it's fossil fuels, it's cars, it's coal plants, it's everything putting carbon in the atmosphere. And thus, we've got to go all electric and do all these other things. A lot of people on the right have fought with that over time and said, no, this is natural. Uh, We've had periods of hotter atmosphere thousands of years ago, which we know. I mean, they just recently found that in the Arctic thousands of years ago, there was lush vegetation and mammals living in the Arctic meaning it wasn't covered in ice, but there weren't any people then either. You know, So I don't, I don't, I don't pretend to know, but I do believe there is something going on with the climate. Definitely. And the and, odds uh, are man is creating some of it at least. So uh, I, I, I guess my sort of reaction to all this is the extent to which this is man-made is almost irrelevant in the sense that these things are happening. And we need to prepare for them. You know, whether the extent to which we're involved is relevant, but regardless, we need to prepare. You know, if this is going to happen, what do we do that's different than, than, than we're doing now? How do we prepare for the bigger floods, for the colder weather, for the, for the bigger droughts? What are the kinds of things we should be doing to make that happen? You know, um, so that's, that's my sort of comment on that. So I wanted to get to the midterm elections, Congressman. I want your opinion based on the results of the election. How do you think that will determine the direction of our country moving forward? In your well, opinion. It's great, great, great question. Um, and the last time I was on, we discussed the upcoming midterms at the time. And I think I said then pretty sure that, you know, the, the big issue, one of the huge issues was the Dobbs decision on abortion. It was like, I remember one of the callers yeah. got into a, tiff with me over it and she was misinformed about what Dobbs did. Dobbs overruled Roe v. Wade and took away the uh, right to an abortion and threw it to every state legislature to decide for the women in that state. And that caused last summer this massive influx of first time women voters to register in July and August and September and they voted. And they voted on November 8th, and that was the single number one issue driving women voters and young voters to the polls. And it 
it, it was obvious it was happening. Uh, in the early voting, you saw the numbers every day for the three or four weeks of early voting in various states. A disproportionate amount of the voters were female voters, and they were voting on that issue. And that issue killed the Republicans. They should have had a big year. I mean, Kevin McCarthy was saying, ah, we're going to win 60 seats in the House. Newt Gingrich said we're going to win 40 seats in the House. We now know, as of yesterday, we won nine seats. One of the worst performances by a party that had expected to do well ever. No red wave, none of it. And obviously for the First time since FDR, an incumbent president did not lose a seat in the Senate. So Democrats had a big day. Republicans had a bad day. And until and unless the Republicans adjust themselves radically, they're going to continue to have bad days. They, they, this is a party that maybe it knows it. I don't know, but it is a dying demographic party. It's a party that shuns people of color, shuns women, shuns young people. It is a party of mainly white men over 50. And that may have worked years ago, but it doesn't work anymore. Country's changing and white people are less of a percentage of the country. And they, and the Republicans need to, uh, appeal to other people. And right now they, they, they dispute everything I just said. Rather than agree that they got to do something, they just double down and do the same nonsense every time. How much of this has to do with President, former President Trump, Congressman? I've, I've been feeling this was another major factor that uh, most of the uh, folks that he brought, you know, that he put on the ballot lost, and right. most of them lost big time. Uh, yeah. I, I, I just think that, that President Trump was a major drag, even more than the abortion issue. Not more than the abortion issue. First of all, he, he, he put three people on the Supreme Court who over, that, who lied, lied under oath when they said they considered Roe v. Wade settled law. They all reversed themselves throughout Roe v. Wade, which set off a firestorm among women voters. And that's the number one reason. Now, Trump endorsing and picking these stupid Dr. Oz and Herschel Walker and Blake Masters. Yeah, that in the Senate, that had a lot to do with it. But that had nothing to do with only getting nine seats in the House. With with huge inflation, an unpopular Democratic president, the normal uh, anti-president uh, voting in the first midterm, which happens historically, didn't happen. None of it happened. And And, and so, yeah, Trump is a big factor. Abortion's a huge factor and will continue to be a huge factor. I look ahead to 2024. I don't know who the Republicans are going to nominate for president, but someone's going to be the nominee. And in the, in the Republican party today, to get nominated, you have to be a hundred percent pro-life. And so Trump, DeSantis, any one of them. To get that nomination, they're going to have to take that position to satisfy the religious right and all that. And once they're the nominee of the Republican Party with this pro-life position, what do you think is going to happen in November? Same thing that just happened a month ago. Same thing. All these voters are going to come out and say, uh-uh, you are not 
telling me what I can do with my body. It's, and they've got to fix this issue. They got, they've got to fix it. I don't know how they're going to fix it, but you can't get nominated, uh, if you're pro-choice. I know that in the Republican party, but the country's pro-choice, a high percentage, 60% or more of this country agrees with the pro-choice position. So, Congressman, I wanted to ask you, I've been thinking a lot about you uh, I, uh, uh, regarding the John Fetterman issue. John Fetterman was the Democratic nomination nominee for Pennsylvania senator. And uh, as we all might remember, he had a stroke. And um, the Republicans really sort of dissed and dismissed him and, and made fun of his voice and made, did all this stuff. And a lot of people thought that stroke might do him in ultimately, and he ultimately won. I'm wondering what your thoughts were about the way the whole Fetterman thing was handled by the public, well, by, uh, the, by the by the media uh, and by the Republicans and everybody else. Well, that's great. I thought the debate, they had one debate where he had some awkward moments, but he made some great lines too, like, you know, I got up off, off of the stroke and fight back, and I'll do the same thing for the people of Pennsylvania. I think he turned a negative into a positive. I think uh, the in an odd way, politically, the stroke ended up giving him um, an opportunity to show more about himself. I think we all know people with illnesses, disabilities, sickness, setback. We all know them or we've all had them. And if you can overcome it as he has and say things like, I'll, I'm overcoming this and I'm going to fight to be better, just like I'm going to fight to make Pennsylvania better. What's a more winning slogan and strategy than that? While the other guy is an utter idiot, Dr. Oz, saying, oh, when a woman wants to choose about having an abortion, the only people in that room, he said, and I've been in that room as a doctor. The only people who ought to be in that room are the woman, her doctor and local political officials. Are you kidding me? What the hell are they doing in the room? This is the position that that thing in that debate, when he said that, that was game over for Dr. Oz. That is just insanity. <laughs> so I, I tell you, and, and plus, we got to go back to 1992. George Bush loses to Clinton and Ross Perot. And he got 37 percent as a sitting president. You realize since that election, the Republican presidential candidate. And the popular vote now from 92 on has lost the popular vote in every single presidential election except 2004 when the incumbent George W. Bush narrowly beat John Kerry. That's the only time in 30 years the Republican. Well, there were three. There were yeah. three, um, there were three Republican elections, I think, since 92, right? Where the Republican won 2000, 2004, and, and 2016. Right. But so, in so, two of them, in two of them, the Republican did not win the popular vote. Right. In 2000 and 2016, they both lost Bush the first time to Gore. Gore won 500,000 more popular votes and, uh, Hillary won two and a half million more in 2016. But electoral votes, Bush won and Trump won. But my point is, 
the trend is for 30 years, the popular vote is moving every four years more towards the Democrats. Now, that that's the sign of trouble for a party. The Republicans have to arrest that. And the only way they're going to arrest it, and that is not uh, that is not Trump's fault. This was way before Trump. Trump capitalized on that when he came along in 2016. And I think the party voters in the primaries were so desperate after the failure of Jeb Bush, a third Bush, you know, this one failing. They thrashed around and said, what are we going to do? And they they tried Trump out. And that's ended up being even more of a disaster. What do you think the chances are, Congressman, that Florida Governor DeSantis will be the presidential nominee in 2024? Well, there's some chance of it, for sure. I, I don't know what it is, but um, the polling today, he's beating Trump na- nationally among Republicans. It means nothing. It's December of a year and a half before the primaries or a year and three months, say. So a lot can happen. A lot of people are going to run. But DeSantis has a lot going for him. You know, he's well known for being a, a, you know, an activist governor. He's raised a ton of money, just got reelected by 20 points. And he's got a good base with that Florida as one of the biggest states in the country. So I, you know, he's certainly a front runner. So is Trump still a front runner? So, so I, I don't think it matters, by the way, which one of them. That's my point. They're going to go through all this to be the head of a party that is losing all the elections. <laughs> so, so what's the point of it? You got to fix the problem. Congressman, I was, uh, your, 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 your concept to Sanders reminds me that Florida was sort of the unusual state in that, uh, a, a, a hardcore conservative, maybe too strong a word, but, a, but a serious conservative. Uh, with, with the Christian right behind him, won by a lot. And it's really the only state that was, was surprising in that regard. You know, uh, they, he won by a lot more than people thought he was going to. How do you think that augurs for the, for the presidential race? You know, as you said, Florida is a, is a big state. Uh, you know, he seems to have a lot going for him. I wonder how that will, how that will translate to the rest of the country. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, one thing I think is that um, states change demographically right in front of our eyes, right? So it used to be where I live here in New York State. This is what we would call a purple state. You had Republican yeah. – Reagan won it in 80 and 84. Yep. We have, we've had a, we had a Republican governor, Pataki, a Republican senator, Al D'Amato. Today, a Republican can't get elected statewide in New York. It's become solid blue. States change. Uh, why is it changing? A lot of Republicans got sick of being a high tax state and the weather and everything packed up and they moved to Florida, especially and North Carolina and South Carolina and so forth. So that's changed. Florida has changed in the other direction. It used to be a swing state. I think you'd have to say now it's basically a Republican state. But other states are going the other direction. Georgia has gone from being a solid red Republican state for the last 30-ish years. Uh, Clinton won it in 92. But since then, it's been very Republican. Uh, but lately, you know, Biden narrowly won it. The two senators won. 
and uh, worn up one again this time, obviously. So I would say it's a purple state. North Carolina, definitely becoming a purple swing state. And this is how it goes. You know, Ohio used to be a, we thought of it as a swing state recently. It's back being a Republican state. And you have Arizona, which is now more of a uh, purple state. That's a than purple state. A purple I mean, state. my God, when I was growing up, that was one of the most Republican states in the country. Yeah. You know, Barry Goldwater and a various bunch of other Republicans there. Solid, total red Republican. Now, uh, both senators are Democrat. The governor just got elected to Democrat. Uh, yeah, Arizona's a swing state. So Nevada's I, I, a swing state. Nevada, so get back to New York for a second. Uh, it, it is pretty much a blue state, but the governor, the Republican governor, did quite well for himself in the, or, uh, in, the in New York. He lost. How, how the do you candidate for governor, candidate. Lee yeah. Zeldin. Yeah, he Sorry. did okay, but he still lost by five points. I mean, all the hype about it, he didn't do that well. I mean, <clears throat> I don't know. I, I, I never bought any of it. I kept hearing all this echo chamber stuff. Oh, you know, he's doing great and she's in trouble. And, and I live here and I didn't sense that she was in trouble. Now, maybe they had some polling that showed it, but she ended up getting like 53% of the vote. I, in, you know, a year that wasn't supposed to be a good year for Democrats, she did okay. So, Congressman, one of the things that I've been thinking a lot about with this election is the issue of tone. And one of the things I like to think is the the this sort of abrasive, hostile, nasty tone still exists, of course. But I my sense is that there are uh, many of some of those folks, the the really hardcore uh, people, uh, especially on the right, but also on the left, lost their elections. And I wonder if you're experiencing the same kind of reaction as I am. Uh, and if so, what, what does that mean for this country? Well, Peter, it's a great question too, because this is part of what Trump has done to the Republican party versus say Reagan and his Republican party. Reagan had great humor and was very kind and funny and endearing. And people liked him. Even people who voted against him liked him. Trump got all nasty. He is a nasty person and he was nasty when he started running in 2015. And yeah, through a fluke, but he did win in the electoral vote. He beat Hillary. Give you that. And he, he never really understood why he won. So he thought this nasty stuff really worked well. And he was a nasty guy as president saying horrible stuff about Hispanic people, black people, asshole countries, all this stuff. And no president ever said stuff publicly like that. And Republican candidates have now echoed that. They think that's the way to go. They're all little Trumpers, Carrie Lake and all Oz, all these people who lost thought the way to win is I'll just be like Donald Trump. Well, they forgot it only worked for Trump once. In 2016, against an even worse candidate, Hillary Clinton. (laughs) But four years later, as president, when he goes up against an old man, 78 years old, who didn't come out of his basement, he couldn't beat him. 
you know, Trump couldn't beat him because the nastiness is not a good thing. It doesn't work politically. It's bad. And that, if, if that, if, the, if this trend continues, I'm not fully convinced it will, but if it continues, um, I, th- I think there's a chance for some work across the aisle to get some important stuff done. Well, they've nice already been doing it. They've already well, been doing it. Yeah. But the, you know, I mean, immigration, it would be nice if we, we could get some kind of a deal with that. It's, I mean, our immigration system, whatever you think about it is, is a disaster. You know, it, uh, 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 people are coming in, they're not coming in, they're, uh, it's, uh, you know, it'd be nice if we could find some kind of a agreement where we can figure out how to better police our border and, and have a policy that brings the people that we need. I have no problem with immigrants coming into this country. Obviously, they have their reasons. I don't know what goes on in their countries on a daily basis for me to judge any other way. As long as they do it legally. Why can't yes. they just do it legally? Yeah, well, that's the key. I mean, we need immigrants to do the jobs that Americans refuse to do now. That's a fact. But Bob is hit on it. There's legal and there's illegal. And what upsets people are the illegal. The illegal have flooded into this country. And so we have the problem of what to do with the ones that are already here. What do we do about the ones still crossing as we're speaking right now? I mean, I, I think we probably are over 20 million illegal aliens in this country today. That's and, about seven, eight percent of the country. Well, there you go. It's just what the country's 330 million. Cool. Yeah. So whatever 20 million is, if that's seven percent, I don't know. Probably is. I don't know, but it's, it's way too much. And once they're here, you know, who's policing them? Who's doing what, you know, and the whole thing is a mess. Both political parties own this problem. They both own it. Neither side can fix it alone. They have to work together and come up with a solution to this thing. And that's the only way it's going to work. It's like uh, in the 80s when Social Security was running out of money and Reagan is president and he knew enough to know that if the Republicans put some sort of solution on it, Democrats will fight it. If the Democrats did something, the Republicans would fight it. The only way to do it is both parties have to work together. So they remember they created a Moynihan commission. Moynihan was a senator, Democratic, fairly conservative. And he chaired this committee to rescue Social Security. And everybody agreed in advance. Whatever the Moynihan Commission comes up with, we're going to support it. So that takes all the politics out of it. If both parties are in favor of it, there's no one to attack it. And that's what's going to have to happen with immigration. they got to get both sides in a room, come up with a total compromise that fixes all of it somewhat. You're never going to fix everything, but we can go a long way to doing a lot, you know. And and both sides have to agree up front. We're going to do this plan. We're all going to support it. And that's going to be the end of this as a political issue. But I don't think we're there yet, but I think we're getting there. Yeah, I think that's right. And, and by the way, we, we talked about uh, climate change. And I think that is that is a factor that that's bringing immigration in because uh, uh, the, the same weather conditions that that we're experiencing here, they're experiencing in South Africa and in Africa and other places. And people are trying to get to a place that's that's more, uh, you know, prosperous, as it were. It's, you know, they're they're trying to escape 
what's going on in their countries. And, you know, it really, it really caused us to ask some questions, you know, how much of those folks can we handle? Uh, and how do we, how do we deal with this? We are, we are, uh, responsible, partially responsible for this climate change stuff. You know, we're the largest country and we, we spew more at more stuff in the, uh, environment than other countries do. What is our responsibility in these, in these circumstances? We need immigrants anyway, as you said, Congressman. It's, it's a complicated issue. I don't have any answers, but I do agree with you. This has to be, this has to be a, some kind of a solution that both parties can embrace. Right. And the way climate change affects immigration is that as the climate changes, and we get drier in the more arid areas. Crops don't grow. Lakes dry up. There's no fishing. There's no agriculture. Forest fires. Oh, yeah. All it. So the people pack up and leave to go where they can work and feed their families, et cetera, which is up here or into Europe. And you know, the Middle East is suffering from cl- uh, hotter climate. That helps destabilize things and packs up millions of refugees and off they go. But, but they got to go somewhere. Yeah. If this is a global issue, wouldn't it be just as bad in the country that the immigrant was in as it is here? No, it's worse there than here. It, it, the, uh, not all of it, but a lot of the people in Central America have nothing. They, the agriculture is drying up. Plus they have corrupt governments and all that. And no jobs. So they got to leave. They leave. They walk up through Mexico to come here because there are jobs here. Lots of jobs that Americans won't do. And our climate's more uh, temperate. Yeah, we're not as bad. We haven't deteriorated yet as much. But you look out west, the west in this country has been going through a multi-year drought. Look at Lake Mead and what's happened there. I mean, it's dried up the Salt Lake in Utah. I mean, it, we're having problems and it's only going to get worse. And Missouri is, you know, I live in Missouri. We're having problems here. We're having problems yeah. here. We, we, we're not in a drought yet, but we're getting close where I am in Columbia. People are getting edgy. You know, we're not, we're not quite there, but you know, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of edgy. Congressman, there are two other issues I wanted to raise to you before, hopefully before we uh, turn it over to the, to our uh, callers, as it were. One of them has to do with um, this whole issue of democracy around the world. And I'm thinking of what's going on in Ukraine, which we haven't talked at all about, and what's going on in Iran, especially. You know, there are two countries that uh, 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 that who, who knows who knows what would have happened uh, if this would have happened five or ten years ago. But now Iran is going through some major issues here with uh, protests and and Ukraine. We know what's going on there. What are your what is your sense about how democracy is doing around the world these days? Well, actually, I, I, I first of all, democracy really survived in our midterms. Every Absolutely. one of these election deniers that ran for statewide office, every one of them lost. I never could have predicted that. And I'm so proud of our fellow Americans to take a look at what happened after 2020. And the behavior of not just Trump, but all his acolytes and these candidates running. Uh, like the guy that was running for governor, Republican for governor of Wisconsin, saying, if I win this election, Republicans will never lose another election. I heard meaning, that. Yeah, meaning I'm going to have the power and I'm going to make sure we don't ever uh, allow a Democrat to win again in this state. 
Well, what kind of democracy is that? Yeah, how do you not allow something to happen? Oh, it's because they check because they run the elections rules. And if they run the counting of the ballots, guess what? I mean, it, we don't, and it's so un-American. You know, it's so un-American. Anyway, they all lost. So that was great. So that's a victory for democracy here in the best democracy the world has ever known. The good old U.S. of A. Now, around the world, interesting story. I went to a lunch the day after Thanksgiving at a club out here on Long Island. And there was a nice guy who works on Wall Street. I guess he's done well. I don't know. And he he sat near me and he told me, he said, I've talked to a lot of people and they tell me it's more likely that the regime in Iran will fall before Putin. Helander, could you mute yourself, please? Go ahead, John. Yeah, anyway, anyway, I thought that was really interesting. And boy, do we want both of them to fall. <laughs> the Iranian regime, because the people there are obviously heavily protesting and now getting executed for it and not backing down. You saw it at the World Cup when the Iranian soccer, men's soccer team wouldn't sing their national anthem. Yep. Uh, that, that, that's a country, we don't have much media in there, but it sounds like it's going to come apart. And I have been predicting, and I've said it every time you've nicely had me on your show since February, Putin's going to go. Putin is not going to last through this war. This war will be the end of him. And when he goes, Russia will change. I don't know into what. I don't have any hope that it'll be any great democracy. They tried it for a few years under Yeltsin, and they always go back to the czar-like strongman. But this guy's out of control, and I think he'll go. He'll now, kill a lot more Putin, people. How long has Putin been there now? 20-plus years. Got in, I think, in 2000. Yeah, a long time. And then China's even having its issues. Yep. I mean, they were the, the, the lockdowns they were having. Now, now they have to reverse those because of protests. And now they're, they're in trouble COVID wise. There, there's some serious worry about. I heard today that there as many as 500,000 people might die over there. Uh, because but Peter, they, Peter, think about this though. That's the third one of these regimes. We talked about Iran and Russia for a sec, but China, biggest country in the world, communist country, one party state, just re-elected uh, President Xi to a third five-year term. He's riding high. The protests sweep over the country over COVID lockdowns. And what does he do with his re-elected mandate from the communist party to does he crack down a la the mullahs and Putin? No. Yeah. He reverses course. And for the first time in almost three years, lightens up on the rules of COVID over there. So that was a little hopeful, maybe, that now that he's got his job secured, maybe he's not going to be quite as draconian. Or maybe he's less secure than we know. Maybe he's very worried. I've, I've heard over the last couple of years, actually, that there's more unhappiness and protests in China than we ever hear about. That all over that place, obviously 1.3 billion people. So there's a lot of people, but that there are public protests every day somewhere in that country against the government. Okay. So, we, 
Um, you're listening to In Perspective. I'm Bob Branco. My co-host is Peter Alchil, and we have with us former New York Congressman John LaBoutlier. It is time now for our listeners to check in and ask questions. And so I'm going to have Raymond tell us who's next, who's got their hands hey. raised. Um, first up is phone number with 665. Six, six, while, while we're waiting, Ray, how many people have their hands raised at the moment? Um, three people. Okay, all right. Um, all right six, so, six, five. You're up. Six, six, five. Are you there? Yeah. Oh, cool. Thanks, go ahead. Man. Here you go. Go ahead, Hi, Mike. Folks. Michael. Yeah. Yeah, Congressman. It's good. It's good. It's always good to hear you. Uh, you're you're what I call one of the more reasonable Republican politicians. But I had a I had a question uh, talking about international stuff. Uh, Japan has announced that they are going to broaden their military forces yeah. and and kind of stepped away from from the, from the U.S. Uh, they're going to do a little bit of it on on their own. What what do you think that does to the relationship between the the U.S. and Japan, and how the rest of uh, uh, its neighbors feel about them increasing their military force? Right. I okay. I, Michael, thanks for your kind words. I it is a fact that they are increasing their defense spending which to my parents would send them up the wall, having lived through World War II, having the guy I'm named after being shot down and killed by the Japanese. But we're 70 years later, 75 years later, the world moves on. And Japan has terrible fear of China and a fear of North Korea. And they're not sure that the U.S. of A., is going to protect them. We have a defense agreement with them. As you know, we basically wrote their constitution. We did write it. Douglas MacArthur wrote it on a yellow legal pad. And we provide main defense. Whatever military Japan now has is supposed to be defensive in nature because we never wanted them to have an offensive capability again after World War II. But that's changing a little bit because they have genuine fear every time North Korea launches a missile, some of them fly right over Japan. And what if one of them's nuclear? What the hell's Japan going to do? So I, I get it with them. They're still a good ally of ours. We still run the show, but they're not as no one's as sure of America as they used to be. You know, we've had the start and stop policies about everything. We go in one direction, then we change and go in the other. We're not really as consistent as we used to be. And that's why you see all our allies hedging their bets a little bit. Thank you, Michael. Uh, Thanks, Michael. Great comment. Thank you, Michael. So uh, next, a very, very good question. Was a very good we question. have uh, yeah. Beth, and then we'll go with Calandra, and then uh, um, we'll go from there. Okay. Beth. So, Beth, Beth, you're next. Hey, guys. Um, great, interesting as usual. Thank you very much. My question is, 
What do you think is the root cause of your correct statement, Congressman, that Americans will not do the jobs that the immigrants are coming to do? Uh, well, they don't. I, I, the Americans don't need the jobs. They they must have enough money somehow that they won't stoop to doing what they consider to be menial labor, manual labor, you know, outdoor cleanup work, whatever it is. They won't do it. And so these immigrant Hispanic men and women are doing it happily. And, and my understanding, this, this is, this has been going on for years. This is not a, 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 a recent phenomenon. This has been going no. on as far back as I can remember. Well, by the way, having, right. But having generation. said that, having said all that, I just realized also something on the other end of the spectrum. We've got a whole bunch of high tech jobs that we can't fill. And that is why we need high tech trained immigrants to come in here and do these jobs. And, and that has amazed me. I thought Americans would happily fill those jobs. Now, it may require moving from one city to another, whatever, but the jobs are there. And don't we have enough people trained to fill them? I thought we did, but. Uh, well, we I, I, I have two, I have two reactions to that. One of them is I think our school system has failed big time on this issue. I don't understand why there isn't more technology being taught in the schools. Why there isn't more coding being taught, why there isn't more program, whatever the issues are, it, it, it is a, it is a necessary skill. And I think the schools have fallen hard on, on this particular issue. Uh, because I, you, you hear, you hear commercial radio commercials all the time, you know, get trained. Well, you know, in a year you, you'll be a tech expert or something, you know, and I think the schools are a major, major cause of this. Major, major, but I thought we do have enough people trained up to take these computer jobs, high-tech jobs. Uh, our market system is supposed to work. In other words, there are jobs that pay a lot of money. If that's true, the jobs pay a lot of money, students should say, okay, I'm going to go to school to get qualified to get that job so I can make a lot of money. That's the way our system has always worked. But the jobs are there and they're not getting filled by American students or American graduates. I, so I don't get it. I don't get it. So Congressman, let me be be a bit cynical. Do you think, or how, how much do you think this is true that, that, that corporations, that tech companies are lowballing salaries? I know the salaries are high. I'm not here to say the salaries are, you know, are minimum wage because they clearly aren't. But I, I have the sense that some organizations are, Lowballing, so they so so because they know the immigrants are there and will take the jobs and they'll make and the the high tech companies will make more money. Do you, is you, is there any truth in that? I you know I really don't know, and I okay. know that I don't know, but I know that they need to fill these jobs. Uh, so I, I thought they raised the money. I thought they're paying more for these slots, and then then if Americans won't take them, they got to pay to get the immigrants trained legal immigrants to come over here, which costs them more money, by the way. They're responsible, training, language, blah, 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 blah. They'd rather have a homegrown American fill the job than some guy from overseas. And one one more factor, and the colleges are experiencing this now, too, is that there are fewer available employees now than there were five or ten years ago because of the 
you know, there were fewer babies uh, born 20 years ago than was within was that's that's going to change 10 years from now. But right now, you know, the folks entering the workplace, there are just fewer of them. If I remember my demographic statistics correctly, you know, if there are fewer if there are fewer people, then, you, you know, yep. you've got you yep. to raise salaries to get the people that are available. So there's, yep. it's a complicated question. Does that help uh, a caller? Uh, yes, it, it does. But I, I, my, my only other question, sub question is, you know, I was always taught there is no job that is beneath me. me. And why is it that that seems to be so rare? That attitude seems to be so rare. Well, they weren't taught by whoever taught you. <laughs> that was my parents. And I, I, if they were here, I would thank them again for teaching me that because I truly believe that. Beth, I think I know people like that. Oh, I'm not going to do that job. <laughs> no way. That's not for me. I'm going to go uh, wash the dishes in a restaurant. No, I'd rather go out and make a whole bunch of money doing something else. And they're probably not trained for that something else. Uh, you know, though, we got we, we look back on, what are we in, the end of 2022. So we're going into 2023. And in a couple, three months from now, we'll get to March. It'll be the third anniversary of the beginning of COVID. Mm-hmm. And did we ever think this thing would be so disruptive? Because look at what's happened. We had, I know all the people died terrible people with long COVID. That's the medical side of it, but the employment side of it was so many workers were sent home either to not work or to work from home. And then when the vaccines got going. We started reawakening the economy. What did we discover? A huge percentage of workers refusing to go back to that job. Now, What's assuming it called? that the, the assuming, great resignation. Yeah. Assuming that a lot of those workers who are not working now, assuming that they're not working from home, how are they making their money? I don't know, but they're not. Uh, mowing the lawns and doing the jobs that these illegals are doing. We know that well, they're not doing well, it. And, and it's, so it's those, a lot of the, I'm sorry, Rach, give me one more second. Forgive me. Um, we have to remember that a lot of the jobs that, that people are going back to are high stress, low paying, relatively low paying jobs. I'm thinking about, uh, healthcare professionals. I mean, there's a desperate need of nurses and nurses aides and, uh, uh, mental health counselors. Uh, it's a desperate know, need for almost anything. Well, but some <laughs> jobs are, but the research also shows that if you pay people enough money, they're less likely to leave. Uh, uh, you know, I have a friend of mine who's, who, who's working in, in, uh, finance in a hospital, in, in a community hospital. Her salary is ridiculous. She's very, very good at what she does, but she's looking to leave. She'll find something else to do with her life. Well, and, look at uh, the teaching profession, Peter. Yeah, that, that's another one. That's another one. You know, uh, I don't have an answer, but we, you know, if we, if we, if we, if we insist on disrespecting people and, and paying them not enough money, we're, that's, that's not the only part of the problem, but it certainly is part of the problem. I uh, think. Right. Oh, right. Hey, we have three people to try and get to before you end uh, the I'm program. Sorry. So, Thank you, Ray, um, for letting us know. We'll go with Touchner first. You are next. Then we'll go to Calendra and then Gene. Okay. Leonard. Leonard. How are you? Am, I, am I unmuted? You are. You are. Uh, in regard to back to um, the global warming, uh, there's a belt of uh, pressure that goes around the, uh, the North Pole, or and it um, every year it's gotten lower and lower, uh, 
as it in, in latitude. Uh, and we've had colder and colder, uh, periods. All in all, everything is warmer. And the fact that it is warmer is what attracts that down here. And it lasts for a little while and it goes back and then we have a mild winter. So there's nothing, no, uh, there's no magic behind that. That's just, uh, the way it works. But it's happening more often, right? Congressman, that's my understanding. This stuff is happening more often yeah. than it used to. It's, it's, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, yeah. it's, it's totally, it, it's increasing. It keeps increasing. And as global warming increases, it will continue to go lower and lower. And meanwhile, the Arctic and, uh, is getting warmer and warmer, mostly because of feedback. And that's far ex, uh, exceeded, uh, what we, what our predictions, uh, were. So, um, Peter, I wasn't quite sure whether you, when you were saying, uh, we have to prepare for it. Well, if it keeps going where it's going, there's no way we can prepare for it. So why not continue to try to do something about what's causing the, the climate change? Thank you, Leonard, for, 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 for you're right. I and, mean, I should, I should have more, more there. Go ahead, Congressman. Well, I, I just that, that issue on what is causing it. What's man's role in causing it, Leonard? Is it CO2 emissions into the atmosphere? It's, yeah, it's, that's what, if you trace the industrial revolution, this warming trend started a long time back. And as the CO2 level, uh, has increased, uh, the, the climate has increased in its change and it'll continue to build up speed as we go along because of the feedback. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I, look, I, I think we've got to do whatever we can do. I think, I think this administration's more onto it. The Republicans were just denying that the problem exists. And, and I think it does exist. And I think maybe the difference between the two parties should be that Democrats want to have the government do everything to fix it. And Republicans want to give incentives to business to fix more of it. I don't know, but we got to do something. We're all going to suffer right to the end of our lives over this thing. Especially the younger folks. Yeah. Especially the younger people. You know, that, that's the, that's the thing. Okay. Uh, thank you, Leonard. It's great thank you, Leonard. Next up is Calandra and then Jean. Okay. Calandra. Calandra. Yeah, better get unmuted. Anyway, um, uh, I really enjoyed the presentation. It was wonderful. But, um, I, wait a minute. Let me get you on speaker, get you on speakerphone. Um, that way I could talk. Anyway, um, go ahead. Most people talk about abortions and stuff like that. And I think it's the woman's choice what they want to do with their own bodies. But personally, I would not do it because it means killing the baby. But why are they making women um, keep their babies if they don't want them? Well, because the right to life movement, which is a legitimate movement, it's a legitimate argument that life begins at conception 
and that the state right. has to pr- has to protect that life and that the woman therefore does not have the right to kill that life that's the right to life position i don't think it's an right. illegitimately conceived position uh but it's up to, i think the where they get off base is Calandra, you chose, you said you would choose, uh, to, to have the right to do it. And that's what it ought to be. It's up to you to decide it, not to have someone else right. tell I, you I whether you can do it. Do it. Yeah, no, but I you, do it. but it's your decision, not someone else telling you you can't do it. That's and the I've problem. Been, I've been saying this for 20 years since I worked in the abortion issue. Bob, I've said this on, on this show many times. The main issue that divides the pro-choice and pro-life folks is not the morality of abortion. They disagree on that, but that's not the major issue. The major issue that divides them is the role that government should play. That's what divides the, 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 that's the primary device dividing issue. And, uh, and that, and that's why in Kansas, conservative Kansas, conservative Kentucky, conservative Montana, uh, the, the voters, said, no, we do not want to have our rights curtailed when it comes to abortion. We may oppose the, mm-hmm. the, the, the procedure, but we don't want to be told what to do by the government. And I, God so, knows the government tells us what to do about a lot of things, not just well, abortion. That's, and that, well, that's, but here's the thing. What, the Republicans right. are the ones t- who want to tell women what they can do. Yeah. We used Remember that line you used to hear years ago, like, uh, I don't want the government in the bedroom. There you go. You know what? Whatever people do in a federal, I don't even want to know about it. That used oh, to be the mainstream you. Republican position. Now they want to not only be in the bedroom, but they want to be in the examination room with the woman and the doctor making the decision. And if she makes the wrong decision to have an abortion, she should be punished and the doctor should be put in jail. That's the Republican position. It's incredible. And you know, we were talking before about the future of politics, and I didn't give you this line, but it's a great line, which is, how can a pro-life party survive in a pro-choice country? And that's the problem the Republicans have to face up to, and I don't think they're even addressing it yet. Um, thank you, Calandra. Thank you, Calandra. Thank you, Calandra. Uh, our last, uh, participant or caller that will take for a question or a comment today is Jean. So Jean, take it away. Hey, Hi. Hey, everybody. Yeah. Good. Um, well, here's a comment, uh, a, a topic for another day. When you're talking pro-life, you're not just talking abortion, you're talking life in general. So that includes things like capital punishment. But anyway, um, what I really called, called in to say was, I worked as a a COBOL programmer for New York State for 30-some years, and as I got to closer and closer to when I was going to retire, the state hired more and more contractors, and majority of them were Indian. And and I I asked one time, and they said that the India was teaching languages and things that they needed that New York or that um, the colleges in this country were just not teaching. One minute, folks. So I, I I think that's part of the problem is they should be, but either the kids aren't taking the courses or the colleges just aren't having, finding enough kids that want to take them. They're just not teaching some of the courses that 
This some goes of the, back to this goes back to needs. junior high school and high schools. I, I, you know, it drives me crazy that there, there, these, these, this isn't being taken more seriously in, in the, in the, in the school system, in, in the lower school system. Gene, you're right about colleges, but I think it goes further back. It probably does now. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, Congressman. Did you want to respond before we? Well, I, I, I agree with every comment about that. I think education, the system in America is not working right. Uh, you know, we need more trade schools. We need more junior colleges, which I was on the board of one here, which is fantastic. They now call them community colleges. You don't need to go to a four year school to, to learn some of the things you need in the workplace. And the whole thing is a mess. We need to do a whole show just on that, not one minute. <laughs> Maybe we that. should next time. Maybe we come should. Back. Yeah. 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 Uh, thank you very much, Congressman. John Laboutlier, it's always a pleasure. You, you are very knowledgeable in a lot of subjects. We appreciate what you tell us. Very great to have you on the program as always. We'll have to reschedule again for another show very shortly. Participants, thank you. Also to Ray, thank you for helping us out today. And for Peter, as always, being co-host that you are, it's always great having you with us. Next week, we're going to have our Christmas show. We're going to have several people talk about Christmas, what it means, what we're going to do, and all that spiritual stuff that we're going to be sharing next week. All right. Go safe with God's abundant blessings, everybody. Have a nice week. Take care, everybody.